What's up everybody, ESK here on a Wednesday afternoon doing a quick reaction-y midweek pod. Just wanted to get some thoughts off my brain off a story that came across my timeline while I was procrastinating from doing actual work. So, story was posted uh, by MMA Junkie, written by Farah Hanoon. She watched the latest episode of DC and RC, the podcast on ESPN Plus with Daniel Cormier and Ryan Clark. On that episode... DC's talking about how to match make the welterweight division. Specifically kind of looks at Vicente Luque coming off his loss on Saturday and suggests the name Sean Brady. Now, the reason this kind of stuck out to me and jumped out to me right away is because I think about these divisions a lot. I think about matchmaking. I think about kind of the, the wide angle view of these weight classes all the time. And then specifically because I talked about Sean Brady on Sunday's episode of the Next Day Takeaways, suggesting he would be, in my opinion, the guy that Bilal Muhammad probably ends up fighting or maybe makes the most sense for Bilal Muhammad to fight. Couple caveats before we continue. My opinion is just my opinion. My view of this is just my view of this. There is no right answer when it comes to matchmaking. There is no playbook in terms of how to pair these fighters off together. So that's established. Second, I'm not trying to penalize Bilal Muhammad, nor am I trying to push Sean Brady and, and give Sean Brady an accelerated run. What I am trying to do is move people forward so that we always end up with a fresh name and a new contender emerging from a situation like this where we're talking about a top five fighter and two top ten fighters. And so the reason that DC's thoughts and, and this piece specifically as it popped in my timeline prompted me to jump on here is that I fully understand kind of the logic and the mechanics of where that thought comes from. So Vicente Luque is at number six in the division. Sean Brady is at number nine. He's coming off a win over Michael Chiesa. Luque would represent a step forward. He would represent a matchup against a more established guy, a guy clearly that is that is further ahead in the rankings, a guy that is dangerous in many facets and is looking for an opponent, right? Is is sort of in that to me it's matchmaking from from the wrong perspective. It's matchmaking for Luke A who now needs to find somebody instead of matchmaking for Sean Brady who needs an opportunity to go forward. And it's matchmaking for the guy coming off a loss as opposed to matchmaking for the guy coming off a win. What I mean when I say that and, and how that plays in, in my brain is that Luke is, is coming off that loss to Bilal Muhammad. So as it stands right now, no matter how good he looks in this hypothetical matchup against Sean Brady, say he beats him and looks terrific, finishes him in the first round. Massive accomplishment. He's not moving ahead of Bilal Muhammad in the pecking order right now because Bilal just beat him handily last weekend. And so that then leaves Vicente Luque with not really anywhere to go. And it also kills off Sean Brady's momentum for the time being. Now, the argument can clearly be that if Sean Brady isn't capable of beating Vicente Luque, he's not yet ready to move forward. And I hear that argument. I recognize it. I understand it. I appreciate it. What I will say is this, and this is how I got to Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady as the fight I liked on Sunday when I talked about it. 
The division is currently situated where everyone ahead of Bilal Muhammad in the rankings in the division, we kind of understand where they're at. Kamaru Usman is coming off surgery, most likely going to face number two Leon Edwards, Leon Edwards next. Colby Covington, who sits at number one, coming off a win over Jorge Masvidal. He's lost to Usman twice. Rumored, speculated to be facing number three, Hamza Chimaev, who's coming off a win over number four, Gilbert Burns, just a couple of weeks ago, which brings us to number five, Bilal Muhammad. Since he's not fighting the champion and he's not fighting Leon Edwards, who is probably going to fight the champion, those two are out of the mix, leaves us three, which are Colby Covington, Hamzat Chemaev, the two men he called out on, on Saturday following his victory, and Gilbert Burns. Since Covington and Chemaev are, are speculated to be facing each other and feel like probably the right matchup for Chemaev, which again, it's, it's not really a fight I love, but I get it. That means the only guy in front of Bilal Muhammad at the moment is Gilbert Burns, and I don't like that matchup because I don't want to see a guy on an eight-fight unbeaten streak like Bilal have to face somebody coming off a loss that just a year ago fought for the title and lost. And so when I game that out, when I think that through, my possibilities are obviously each of them winning, right? Bilal moves forward, great. Best case scenario. Proves himself as ready to challenge for the title, whatever the case may be. But if Gilbert Burns wins, where does he go? What does that do for the division? He's already lost to Chemaev. He's already lost to Usman. So there's a couple options. Sure, you match him up with the loser of the, the championship fight. You match him up with Covington, whatever. Those are possibilities. Maybe he does the fight back in the division, but it just doesn't feel like a worthwhile proposition to risk Bilal Muhammad and the winning streak he's on and the good run he's on, to not get a championship opportunity out of it. And so that's how I came up with Sean Brady as being kind of, in, in my mind, the right pick as the next fight for Bilal. And look, said it on Sunday, say it again now. Bilal is not going to like that fight if it's put to him. I understand it. If I'm his management, I push back against it too. My guy's unbeaten in eight. Why am I fighting back in the division? And the reason he's fighting back in the division, frankly, in my opinion, is exactly what DC is suggesting. It's, it's, it's a result of what DC is suggesting. The UFC of late, and by late I mean the last few years, have really focused on and, and fixated on constantly matching up the people at the absolute top of the division and just kind of spinning them all together instead of kind of looking further down. So right now, it feels like quite frequently we get situations where two fights four or two fights three, four fights five or six, five fights six or seven, and the movement doesn't, there's not a ton of movement as a result of those, those results, as a result of those fights. The problem with that, to me, is that you run into these situations where two is already, the guy at number two, the person at number two, has already beaten the person at number three, at number four, at number six, at number eight. But they've also already lost to the champion once, maybe twice. And therefore, they're limited in where they're going. And so that means 
for those fighters that are at eight, seven, six, five, whatever it may be on their way up, they're losing to somebody that isn't moving forward. And so we're stunting the development. We're stopping the momentum of somebody that may be a new name, that may be a rising name in the division to get somebody that's already established that isn't going to go forward, that is sort of limited in how far they can go. And that's what this Luke Brady situation kind of feels like to me. Because right now, Vicente Luque is capped in, his, in, in terms of how far he can go in the division because he just lost to Bilal Muhammad. Now, he's also capped and limited because he's not going to fight his best friend Gilbert Burns. That's a situation that makes it a little more complicated. But this isn't a situation that's limited to the welterweight division. We've seen this and we continue to see this in a ton of divisions, in a ton of weight classes. Middleweight, for instance, Robert Whitaker has fought and, and ends up fighting so many of the people immediately below him in the rankings and beat them, right? That's how he earned his second fight with Israel Adesanya earlier this year. He went out and won three straight fights against good competition, beat Darren Till, beat Kelvin Gastelum, beat Jared Cannonier. Which then kind of limits those people, right? Now, Cannoneer has since gone out, got a win over Derek Brunson. He's going to get that fight with Israel Adesanya at some point coming up in the summer. But do you feel great about it? Do you feel super excited? Because, you know, a year ago we saw him lose to Robert Whitaker, who we've now seen fight Izzy twice. Second fight was hella close. I think, if, I think at some point they will do it again. They are clearly the gold and silver medalist in this division and the best two fighters in the division by far. But it kind of dulls the excitement about Jared Cannonier because we've already seen him lose very recently. There's not that excitement of a winning streak, of a big run of success, because he's lost to a guy that has lost to the guy. And so what I, what I think about when I see stuff like what DC is suggesting and when I see stuff like some of these other matchmaking ideas that come up or, or even fights that do get announced is what's the value of it? What's the what's the purpose of constantly running these fighters out there, running somebody like Sean Brady out there where he's got to go through the gauntlet? When I talked to Bilal last week before that fight on Saturday, he said, look, man, I, I know that the path for me is going to have to be that I beat number five, number four, number three, number two, and number one before I get that championship opportunity. I love the mindset and it very well could be what ends up happening for him, but I absolutely hate that that might be what happens for him because he shouldn't have to win and go unbeaten in 12 or 13 fights before he gets a championship opportunity. The fact that he's at eight is already too many. The fact that Islam Hashev is as, as far along in his winning streak without getting a championship opportunity the same way. Same with Arnold Allen, right? He comes out, he gets that victory over Dan Hooker where he beats Dan Hooker in the first round. And you know he looked at the rankings beforehand and said, okay, if I beat Dan Hooker, I'm calling out the guy in front of me and that's Calvin Cater. Well, he shouldn't have to call out Calvin Cater when he's unbeaten in the UFC. He should be able to look at, look forward and say, I'm next in line. I'm the next fresh name for Alexander Volkanovsky and not have people go, oh God, really? That That's the fight we're going to make? Because that's what it feels like, is that we want to constantly put these people like Sean Brady or like Arnold Allen 
or like Islam Mahashev out there to constantly prove themselves until they get the validation of the masses, until they get sort of the, the big enough win in the eyes of, of the public, where we as experts and we as members of the media and we that follow the sport closely, we know what these records and these winning streaks mean. We know what these victories kind of hold up and, and what they feel like and, and how difficult it is for Bilal to win, go unbeaten in eight straight fights in the division and for Arnold Allen to be undefeated in the UFC and Islam Hashev in the lightweight division where it's wild to do what he's doing and was wild when Tony Ferguson did it. And I just think we're continuing to get to this point where we're moving the goalposts and we're constantly putting more hurdles in the way of these fighters that are on these incredible streaks. And I'm not sure why, because it just feels like we're constantly running the same names out there in these championship matchups and in these top-end matchups. I don't mean any slight to these two gentlemen that I'm going to name check here, but why is it that Justin Gaethje only has to win one fight against Michael Chandler before he gets a championship opportunity while Islam Mahashev is out here just stacking victories and finishes over tough competition and constantly gets told, nah, man, you got to win one more. You got to win two more. Like, why doesn't Justin Gaethje have to move to the back of the line? Why doesn't Max Holloway, after two fights with Alexander Volkanovsky, have to do more than beat Kelvin Cater to get another opportunity? Why can't we have situations where these people at the top of the division move back a little bit and we get some fresh names coming forward? And it's not, you know, the person at seven has to go through six through one to get their championship opportunity or gets a five, six, seven fight unbeaten streak or winning streak and have to go through three more people to push that to double digits before they can possibly fight for championship gold. To me, it's about momentum and kind of capturing something, right? Arnold Allen has never felt more electric than he did right after UFC London and beating Dan Hooker. If you keep running Islam Mahashev out there against the top end of the lightweight division, at some point, it's plausible, it's possible that he loses a fight and then doesn't fight for the title and that momentum is lost, which for me, both as a fan and as an observer media member of this sport, would feel like a waste. Like it, it felt like a waste. It still feels like a waste to me now that Tony Ferguson never fought for the undisputed title. Now, all kinds of stuff got in the way, including television cables. The fight with Khabib was cursed. Get all of that. Understand all of that. But when you just look back at the run he went on and the things he accomplished in that division, for him to have never fought for that belt in one way or another feels like a missed opportunity. And it just seems like if we constantly take people like Sean Brady and pair them off with guys that themselves have shown they're not quite ready to be championship contenders, we're going to end up in this situation that we're at in so many weight classes right now where it's just a bunch of people that have already faced each other or that have already ran into the top guy in the division, top man or woman in the division, excuse me, and can't get past that hurdle 
but are kind of that Robert Whitaker as he is at middleweight, where he is the absolute best beyond Israel Adesanya. It's what Joseph Benavidez, it's sort of, it's why I loved what Joe B did at, at flyweight, following his second loss to Demetrius Johnson, right? Joe went out and he said, look, give me anybody. And I don't, like, he wasn't picky about I'm only facing number two or number three in the division. He went out and fought Tim Elliott. He went out and fought Dustin Ortiz. And that was the second time, I believe. He went out and fought kind of whoever was available and whoever could be presented to him, knowing that he had to work his way all the way back. And so for somebody like Luke, why doesn't he need to go back and face somebody further down in the rankings that's coming off a loss? Why does he get thrown in there with Sean Brady, who's on the upswing, when you could throw him in there with a Li Jing Liang? When you could throw him in there with a Jorge Masvidal? When you could, if you wanted to, run it back with Stephen Thompson? Instead of potentially burning Sean Brady for a guy that is now proven or has now been proven to not be ready for prime time himself. It's a weird thing. I get it. it and, and maybe it is an odd hill that I, I'm going to end up dying on. But it feels to me, and, and I'm scrolling through the rankings right now and looking at it, it's what we have happening in the women's bantamweight division when you look at Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamy being kind of the clear one and two um, before the changing of the guard at the top of the division. It's what we have with Caitlin Chukagian at, at flyweight, where she is the clear silver medalist behind Valentina Shevchenko. And like that division's a perfect example to me, right? You look at what Shevchenko has done. You look at who she's fought. They haven't ran Tyla Santos through Caitlin Chukagian or Lauren Murphy or Jessica Andrade when she was still in the division before giving her that championship opportunity. Because there's no reason to. There's no need to. We've already seen those fights, and you don't need to see one of those three go back and face Valentina Shevchenko again. And so you move the emerging fighter forward. It's why Alexa Grasso might move forward after her win over Joanne Wood and get that championship opportunity. Same with Manon Fierro. And even if you match those two up, right, Grasso and Fierro, at least then, no matter who wins that fight, you're getting a fresh fighter going forward that can challenge for the title. And to me, from where I sit and the way I think about things, that's what you should be doing as often as possible, as frequently as you can. And I know it's hard because there are a ton of moving parts. There are a ton of considerations that we as people outside of those offices that don't have access to contracts, that don't know who, fully know who trains with who or who knows who or whatever other variables have to be considered. All of that stuff certainly goes into it. But for me, as we're trying to do this as frequently as they can, I'd love to see the UFC matchmakers put fights together especially at the top of these divisions and into title contention where no matter what, we're getting a winner that is a new name, that brings some freshness, that brings some life, some new opportunities to these weight classes. Rather than telling a guy like Sean Brady, you don't have to go through this guy that has shown he's not there yet. And so it sucks for a guy like Bilal Muhammad. It just does. There's no two ways around it. I said it on Sunday. I'll say it now. 
I understand Bilal and his team having zero interest in that fight because it means he's fighting backwards after finally clawing his way forwards. But there's not a lot of options for him. The only fight to me that would make sense from that logic that I am espousing and that I absolutely adhere to as best I can is Hamzat Chemaev. And if they want to make that fight, I am a thousand percent down. Absolutely love it. I think it is the, I honestly think it's the right fight given the landscape of the division. Make that fight happen. Colby Covington can fight guys further down the line. He doesn't need to be facing the unbeaten rising star in Hamzat Chemaev. That to me is the perfect fight for Bilal Muhammad because we just saw Bilal win a main event. We just saw Chemaev pass his toughest test yet. Put them together. Winner gets a championship opportunity. Everybody's happy. That doesn't seem like it's what's going to happen. I'm not sure why. I mean, I've got ideas, but that's another podcast for another day, probably. And so, rather than throw Bilal in there with Gilbert Burns, or with some name that gets to parachute in and kind of potentially interrupt his run of success the way Nate Diaz tried to with Leon Edwards. I think it makes sense to pair him with Sean Brady to where you get somebody going forward in a positive fashion no matter what. As I said off the top, there's no right answers. There's no manual to look at for how to pair these men and women off. There's no concrete way to do this. But for me, when I think about it, It's about trying to figure out a situation in a way so that no matter who wins, somebody's moving forward and somebody can continue to have momentum and they don't run into a wall that's already been established. I talk a lot on the newsletter about ceilings and about floors and about upside and things like that. And to me, one of the questions I'm always looking to have answered Every fight of every week is where is this person's ceiling and where is this person's floor? And each fight redefines that along the way. Right now, we don't know where Sean Brady's ceiling is. We have a sense of where Vicente Luque's ceiling is. And so I want to see people with undefined ceilings facing people with undefined ceilings. And for right now, that's Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady, not Vicente Luque and Sean Brady. That's no shot at DC. That's no knock at Farah Hanoun for writing a great piece, breaking down what they talked about. It's just how I see things. It's just how I think about things. And as I already said a couple of times, there's no right answers to this. It's just my thoughts. I will talk to you again on Sunday.